Welcome back, dear friends, to Dissecting Dexter. My name is Gareth, and as always, I'm coming to you live from the mobile studio deep in the heart of North Yorkshire, England, and we're here to talk about some Dexter. We're into season six, we're up to episode nine, episode title Get Geller. And bugger me, what a divisive episode this has been. <laughs> in fact, I said as much on Twitter. And uh, and that got one or two responses itself, <laughs> say along the lines of "What an understatement that is!" <laughs> if Nebraska divided the audience, then this did it even more so. Although with Nebraska, the general trend of the feedback was mostly positive. But we are well. We're at the end of November. It's November the thirtieth as I record this today. Uh, it's Advent Calendar Day tomorrow. The kids are excited, ready to open up the first window and get that first lovely bit of chocolate. <laughs> Excitement is certainly building in the Watkins household. <laughs> yeah, I like Christmas. It's a good time of year. I've still got quite a bit of Christmas shopping to do, mostly for my wife. Uh, so I hope she's not listening to this. She'll, she'll be thinking, oh, great, that's how important I am into December and you're not even prepared. You're not even thought of me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. She's lovely. <laughs> um, so, well, we're in danger of uh, <laughs> potentially another record-breaking podcast this week. So I'm kind of loath to, uh, to ramble on too much in this opening segment. I do like to have a little bit of a chit-chat with you guys. Um, before we dive into uh, dissecting Dexter. Uh, but last week's episode, well, it was about an hour and three quarters long. <sighs> My throat was very dry by the end of it, <laughs> all that talking. <laughs> and uh, I, I fear we may well be stretching to a similar length this week. So uh, I, I've, obviously I've not finished recording yet. <laughs> um, as I record this intro bit, I've still got the feedback bit to record. Uh, so I'm not quite sure yet exactly how long that's going to go. So apologies in advance if uh, this podcast goes on to a similar marathon length. <laughs> but from your feedback, it sounds like you, don't, you guys don't mind generally. So, um, so that's good. Right, the ratings for this latest episode. I didn't talk about them last week, uh, but ratings for Get Geller were down 10%. They went down to a 0.9 rating, uh, 1.9 million viewers. Uh, compared to The Walking Dead on the same night, which got a 3.5 rating, equating to 6.6 million viewers. Just to put things in perspective, Kim Kardashian's TV show that night got a 1.8 rating, with 3.2 million viewers. But, do we even need to talk about the ratings anymore? It's just a, a minor point of interest now, really, as the show's... well. We've got an end date, haven't we? Two more seasons to go. So, um, do we care? It's just a, as I say, just a minor point of interest. I'll, you know, continue to mention it from time to time. Right, season six, episode nine, Get Geller. Original air date, the 27th of November, 2011. Written by Karen Campbell. Directed by Seath Mann. Now, Karen Campbell <laughs> was uh, a bit of a contentious issue last season when she seemed to appear out of nowhere with a first writing credit. Episode 11 she wrote last year, Hopper Freighter, and uh, it led uh, more than one of us, <laughs> me included, to uh, contact who we thought was the writer, a certain Karen Campbell online, who turned out to be um, 
simply a, a namesake. Uh, she was a Scottish writer who um, did respond and said she had nothing to do with Dexter, but kind of I think she wished she had. Uh, no, the Karen Campbell concerned is uh, a story editor, and uh, that was her writing debut, if you like, writing an, ep an episode herself. Uh, and this is her second one. Director Seathman directed for The Wire. He directed a season four episode, having previously shadowed Wire regular director Ernest Dickerson, who is now a regular director for Dexter. He directed last week's episode, for starters. I suspect Dickerson may be the one to thank for Man's arrival on Dexter. Man has also directed episodes of Heroes, Cold Case, Lincoln Heights, Jericho, Entourage, Friday Night Lights, Sons of Anarchy and Fringe, amongst others, so he's, he's well-travelled. Right, let's dive into the episode. Here we go. Well, this is a funny episode to talk about. In the scope of the season, this was quite a big one. We're into the final act, aren't we? the last block of four episodes and we got the major reveal that we've been debating since episode two and you know the one i mean <laughs> the is he isn't he question it was finally answered and it should have been huge for the season huge capital h yet as i feared for me at least it fell flat because we've been onto them since episode two yes we flitted between between the two camps is he isn't he but we had our eye on the big reveal. We had it pegged. It really seems like we called it exactly. Travis is screwed up in the head. He, well, it's likely, it's not been confirmed, that he killed Geller. And since then, Geller has been manifesting as Travis's alter ego, his dark passenger, his split personality, whatever it turns out to be exactly. So, yes, he's seriously mentally disturbed maybe stemming from what happened to his parents, as his sister told Deb last week. But basically, we had it all pegged. So what was meant to be a big, holy crap moment was more like a, OK, we were right all along. But let's go through the episode and talk about what went on. So we joined Dexter and Travis in the church at the start, where we left them last episode. Dexter talks about Travis having a dark passenger, but his being a more recent acquisition. I suppose Travis may have had his darkness for a long time, but only had a face after he killed Geller. I'm assuming he killed Geller. <laughs> we don't know that for a fact yet, but it's got to be likely, isn't it? Watching Travis in this scene, I'm thinking, does he really have a totally split personality? where the two sides are unaware that they're physically one and the same. In other words, does Travis honestly think that Geller is a separate person? I'm no psychologist, of course, but is Travis a very good actor? And full Dexter completely. Is his, in quotes, normal side unaware of his dark side? I mean, Lisa had no idea, much like Deb has no idea about Dexter's dark passenger. Uh, I don't know. I guess there's still a lot for us to learn about Travis's psychosis. Just incidentally here, at this point in the episode, what did you make of that brief scene at the nursery with Dexter talking to the other dad and Harrison giving out biscuits? It seemed a bit... <laughs> it seemed a bit random. 
a bit sort of shoved in there. And while it showed Dexter doing something normal and fatherly, and Harrison being shown to be unselfish and kind, giving biscuits to the other children, it just stood out from the rest of the episode, which was so focused on getting Geller. Was it just a hint that Harrison is growing up into a nice, normal little boy? I don't know, what did you think? That two-lot thing was uncovered a bit quickly. There was loads of stuff in that church to look through, and Dexter found the card pretty fast. Not the card, the um, the parking ticket with two-lot written on it. I know the show has a pace to maintain, but I thought that was very lucky. <laughs> and good old Elliot, the search engine, came up trumps again, didn't it? Dexter very quickly identifying the potential victim who was a bit of a cliché dick, <laughs> an arrogant man. How often does this guy's life get threatened? He hinted at every week, and he barely batted an eyelid when Dexter approached him. But I thought it a bit convenient to the plot to say, Ah, oh, I get this all the time, I'm not listening to you. And of course he turns up dead. It's a little bit of a cliché of these kinds of shows, <laughs> or TV shows in general that someone doesn't heed a warning and winds up on a slab. There was an interesting scene with Dexter setting up the kill room in the church, talking to Harry, and a couple of remarks stuck out to me. This has become very important to you, killing Travis's dark passenger. Yes. Well, I would have done anything for a chance to get rid of yours. I'm not sure you even tried. So what will you do with him once Geller's gone? Allow him to start over. I know of a few people who aren't using their identities. Your slides. I kill Geller and Travis gets a second chance. The one I'll never have. So Harry reckons he'd have done anything to get rid of Dexter's passenger. Dexter says he never even tried. I know this is just Dexter talking to a part of his own psyche, but it illustrates a growing resentment, I think. Perhaps building on seeds sown last year, with Harry admitting he was wrong about Dexter and how different things could have been if he'd brought him up differently. Dexter also made a remark about giving Travis a second chance, a chance he'll never have himself, suggesting he's resigned to being this way. If that's what he meant, it's pretty defeatist. But he's tried to improve his life before and fallen short. It comes back to Harrison being his salvation, perhaps. As long as Dexter has Harrison, there has to be hope, right? Dexter and Travis in the car together was quite interesting, as they waited for Geller to turn up. We got a little bit of insight into why Travis is doing what he's doing. He posed the question to Dexter whether he's ever wanted to wipe everything clean and start his life over again. Dexter didn't need to respond for us, and <laughs> thankfully it was one of those occasions where we didn't get the helpful voiceover. That's helpful in inverted commas. <laughs> but no, Dexter didn't need to respond for us. We know he has wanted that. Travis has suffered his own trauma, with his parents dying. It's all relative to the individual, but it's intriguing that they share some similarities. Of course... Typically, Dexter had his eyes closed when Geller walked by. Another little ambiguity leaving us to wonder. <laughs> the lift getting stuck was a set-up straight out of a horror film, though. 
Travis came to the rescue. And I'm sure you guys will have also thought, how did he know which floor Dexter was stuck on? I mean, it's possible there were only two floors, but I don't know. <laughs> Little nitpick, maybe. I did suspect Travis got to Casey, though, incapacitated him and hid the body with a view to returning later in the night to set up the tableau. He didn't have time to do the whole setup while Dexter was stuck, so I thought maybe he just sort of got Casey secreted away somewhere to come back later. The Bowls of Wrath tableau was pretty gross again. The hollow belly, ugh, and all the blood pouring over them. That bit was straight out of the film Carrie. But they have been using some horror references this season, so I don't mind that. The message Travis found on his bathroom wall. Interesting, but maybe not surprising that he lied to Dexter about it, in hindsight. Was he having second thoughts about turning on Dexter, or is there a chance that he's completely aware that he has this dark side, just as Dexter's aware of his own? Mind you, Dexter doesn't daub psycho messages in the blood of his victims on his bathroom wall. And obviously, Dexter doesn't have a split personality like we suspect Travis has. So, when they got to the church, Geller was there and all dark and brooding, menacing in his calmness. I liked Edward James Olmo's performance. He's, uh, I'm sure he's enjoying these dark, broody scenes. Considering Dexter was in the back room quietly preparing his kill tools, I was surprised he didn't hear the raised voices and come running. Unless, of course, <laughs> as is quite plausible, that conversation all played out in Travis's head and he didn't actually say anything out loud, just like Dexter's conversations with Harry. In fact, I'm opting for that. It'd tick another box of similarity to Dexter and it means I can forgive Dexter for not hearing any voices. There was another interesting conversation between... Harry and Dexter at the end here. Dexter seems... He really seems to have a growing resentment and sense of... almost animosity towards Harry. I long ago said that I felt eventually Dexter would reject Harry, or at least have a major confrontation or face-off with him. It does seem to be building. This isn't just about Travis. You're not that unselfish. I'm more than you ever thought I'd be. So if you remove Travis's dark passenger, what are you getting out of this? Maybe I can learn to control my own. Maybe I can be better. A better what? A better person? I don't care about being a better person. It's too late for that. Then what do you care about? A better father to my son. Is that so surprising to you? I want to be a better father for Harrison. Interesting. Dexter's giving us some explanation for why he's working with Travis. It had been questioned why Dexter doesn't just kill Travis. And it seems that it boils down to him wanting to be better, in his words. But he's not bothered about being a better person just to be a good father. The children are his salvation, again. <laughs> As a father myself, I can identify with him wanting to be the best dad for his son. If he were to control his dark passenger completely, he'd certainly be at home more, be able to give more time and attention to Harrison. So maybe he's going about it in a plausible way. Plausible for Dexter, that is. There was a nice sense of tension when Dexter found Travis lying there in the church, although... <laughs> 
Although that he was playing possum didn't come as a surprise in the end, <laughs> I did chuckle at the cliché creepy crypts beneath the altar. How would Travis or anyone have got a big chest freezer down that little hole, though? Unless there's an entrance that we've not seen. But seeing the freezer, I thought, here we go. And it's a shame that the big shock was no surprise at all. I do envy those viewers who don't listen to podcasts or read discussion boards and hadn't figured out the twist. The surprise must have been fun, but I really do feel like the writers have treated us a bit like idiots. Like this was some revolutionary twist. It's been done more than once before in high-profile films. No spoilers, I won't name them, but you can probably work out at least one of them. A great shame, then, that for a lot of us, the twist just confirmed something we've been speculating for two months. So, elsewhere in the episode, Deborah, carrying on her therapy this week. Bless her. She's screwed up in her own way, isn't she? Hopefully the therapy will help her, and it seems the good doctor is helping her. She's suggesting a new way forward, toughening up. Early indications suggest this may mean leaning less on Dexter. It could well mean they end up being less close, which of course paves the way to her being more receptive to these little things that don't add up, sowing the seeds for the final two seasons. I am enjoying these therapy scenes with Deborah. They don't go on too long, but do give us a little deconstruction of her character. We always knew she was fallible and affected by her daddy issues, that she relied upon Dexter enormously, that she had uh, a bad track record with relationships, and that she'd suffered her own traumas. These sessions could be the making of her. Honestly, I do think it's in her best interest to draw back a little bit from Dexter and rely on him less. They can still have a relationship, yes, but she needs to exist more on her own, if, that's, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I was amused by her calling Dexter a chair, <laughs> his face. He had no idea what the bloody hell she was talking about. And she reopened the cool girl case, didn't she, after the father came in. There was the hint of a mystery there when he revealed that he knew details of the case that weren't public knowledge. Where did he get his information from? It made me wonder briefly if LaGuerta had made a call to him. Maybe she'd closed the case, knowing there was a lot more to it, and wanted to set up Deb to take the fall for it. But perhaps not. So, we had another reveal this episode with the cool girl case, and it was another reveal that we'd pegged straight away. Matthews was the one in the room with the cool girl, the one who tried CPR to save her. And, quite rightfully, he's pretty panicked about it now, knowing his career's at stake. And his liberty. <laughs> and he must know he's at the mercy of LaGuerta. I don't know which of those would panic him more. So, yeah, LaGuerta now has the ultimate dirt on him. She could go to Deb and say Matthews is involved, or just let the case run its course and let him take a fall. If she does follow through and help him, when it does all go down, he could take her with him. But it sets up the two conspiring to stop Deborah. In what way? Answers on a postcard. And that's one point of intrigue moving forward. Deb's standing up to LaGuerta was great, though. One of the highlights of the episode. We've been through this. You're going to say it's not happening, that I better do what you say, because you're going to give me some scary, squinty-eyed look, but I am so fucking sick of having this conversation. So I'm just going to break the pattern right now. If you have a problem with me investigating a potential homicide, which is my job, 
Then fire me. Otherwise, I am reopening the case. Didn't you feel good for her? Standing up to the woman who's been a pain in her ass since season one. Yes, it looks like she's going to get trouble over it from Matthews. But she's asserted herself to her eternal credit, something she really needed to do. And maybe LaGuerta might even respect her for it. Just a little bit. But whether she admits it is another matter. <laughs> she's got her own agenda, isn't she? So, on to Lumi. Or more specifically, Lewis, really. Is he really such a great computer expert? He's a video games developer, it seems. And now he's an expert hacker. Or he has to be if he's going to start drilling down into a website and look through access logs. If the hosting server of that blog even keeps that kind of information, he'd have had to hack into the hosting server to find the information, and even then, you can't always find the geographic location of someone just from an IP address. There are publicly accessible databases where you can look up the owner of an IP address, but if it belongs to an ISP, the owner would show up as the ISP not the individual user necessarily. You'd have to then hack into the ISP, check their logs to see who was, who was logged in on a specific IP address at a specific time, assuming the IP address wasn't spoofed in the first place, which basically means masking your real IP address to appear to be another one. And then once you have that username, you'd have to hack their customer database, the, the ISP customer files, to see who owned that username, assuming the details were real and not fakes. <laughs> I, what I'm basically saying is that it's a little bit of a stretch for Lewis to go away for an hour or so and come back with a specific location. I mean, I, I say all this, I've worked for an ISP or in an ISP environment for about 12 years. So, I, you know, I've got an idea about this sort of thing. Uh, but, OK, it was convenient for the plot, but, it, you know, it stretches it. I did like Masuka's little pep talk about Jamie. If you want sage relationship advice, would Masuka really be the one you'd listen to? <laughs> this is someone who knows about autoerotic mummification. And this week, he came out with this perla. When it comes to matters of the heart, always follow your dick. Brilliant. So anyway, Lewis tracked the IP address and it led them to what looked like a cafe or shop or something in a park. It seems like they have a wireless hotspot there. The guy said the range of the signal is about 500 feet, which sounds about right for the wireless signal of a reasonably strong antenna. Although why a small shop like that would have an unsecured network that can cover such a wide area is odd. Seems a bit generous to uh, your average passerby with a laptop or mobile phone. But, you know, it suits the plot. Just a minor niggle, I can, and <laughs> I can let it slide. The police aren't far off discovering the church, though but it created a sense of building tension that once again the police investigation is in danger of catching up with Dexter's parallel solo one. But back to Lumi. We got what I thought was the biggest surprise of the episode, one I didn't see coming or predicted. Lewis was the one who bought that prosthetic hand. Does this make him a potential psycho? Or just a collector of serial killer uh, curiosities? <laughs> I'm not certain. Does he have a genuine obsession with serial murder? There is some feedback about this coming up from you guys, so I won't steal your thunder and talk about it anymore for now. But I did like this reveal, even though in hindsight it was telegraphed in the previously on Dexter segment. But don't get me started on that again. <laughs> so, finally, Quinn. <laughs> I still don't know where the Quinn storyline is going. 
he's gone back into meltdown mode and I like Batista tearing him off a strip. The scene with the older woman that <laughs> that Quinn had had a assignation with was it was funny. I enjoyed Quinn and Batista's reactions, but why did Quinn want to bait Angel like that? Doesn't he need him to have his back and cover for him? If he's not going to get into more trouble at work, that is. He didn't have drunkenness to blame this time for his mouth. He just pressed Batista's buttons and got punched again. Maybe Quinn wants to punish himself and baited Batista, hoping to get a, rea a reaction. Although he did, he did land a few punches back on Batista's chin, so, you know, he was fighting back. He wasn't just taking a beating. I don't know. A bit strange. Overall... <sighs> I hate to say it. This episode was a big letdown for me. Or, to be more precise, and maybe a fairer term would be to say it was an anticlimax, of the three twists, we'd guessed two of them. The most intriguing thing coming out of the episode for me is where they're going with the Loomy storyline. Is Lewis going to end up as anything more than a just a computer geek who has an unhealthy interest in serial murders? The dramatic music that accompanied the reveal of the hand... It suggested this was something pretty revelatory, so I don't know. But the Matthews reveal? You know, we had that pegged right from the word go, only one episode ago, so, you know, big deal. Uh, and the, the Geller revelation we'd suspected since episode two. And looking back, I think I need to give a lot of credit to our caller... A regular caller, Travis Shefflin, who um, I think was the first one to, um, certainly the first one to the podcast to tout that possibility. Looking back at my notes from the episode, so well done, Travis. Credit where it's due, sir. But yeah, basically, what was, what should have been the biggest reveal of the season so far was, well, as I say, one big fat anticlimax, and that's a shame. But, moving on, you guys have lots to say as always about the episode, so I'll comment more in response to your feedback. Listener Feedback We've got a ton of feedback this week, and as I alluded to at the start, <laughs> opinion is well divided, and there is certainly a broad spectrum of, of views on this episode. Uh, but before we get into that, I, as seems to have become the norm, got a little bit of feedback in between podcasts addressing issues coming out of the last episode and the last podcast. First up, Sharon in Portland emailed in to say... I have a few theories bumping around in my head that I'd like to put out there between episodes. Concerning Jamie and Lewis. I think Lewis could turn out to be more of a foil than most people are thinking. Is it possible that Lewis is the one who bid on and won the evidence from the crime lab? Once in the job, he erases his own tracks. He idolises Dexter, puppy dog style, and dates the nanny. So when Dex is out and Jamie is needed to watch the baby, he knows. He seems like a guy who has lots of access to info about Dexter and ability to access even more through the computer systems at the crime lab. The character could really cause problems if motivated. LaGuerta, 
annoying as she is, has always seemed a political animal to me. Whatever allegiance serves her career, she seems willing to get into bed with anyone, pun intended. Where Deb is concerned, this seems to be suspended. As Deb's superior, the talons are out, even though Deb's success can only feed her own at this point. Maybe she just feels, as another fairly savvy cop, Deb has her number. Either way, she supported Quinn in a very open way earlier in the season, as he opposed Deb. With Deb weakened from a lack of brotherly support, Quinn may still be a way to get to Deb. With him in a downward spiral, and his clear lack of judgement and sobriety, I could see him as the person she's covering for. With LaGuerta using this as evidence of Deb's lack of judgement later. As for Dexter in general this season, he just really seems out of control himself. He seems to take little of the care that he used to in covering his tracks. He used to be careful when researching things at work, while now he seems nonchalant. Possibly gives Lewis an in on his activities. Too many people are running around who know his business. This is an evolving character and one who seems bent on self-destruction rather than keeping the number one rule in the code. Don't get caught. If parenting was such a concern, he'd be around to do it. And he'd be a little more concerned with staying off death row himself. His choices are catching up with him and I think he's going to discover a mirror image of himself in Travis. After all, in the end, if Travis deserves Dexter's knife, then so does Dexter. If Geller is a dark passenger, or real, and is encouraging killing for what he sees as a higher purpose, then so did Harry. Does that make Harry evil as well? Dex will eventually have to deal with that issue for me to be a happy viewer, at least before they wrap up the show for good. Enough rambling. I always look forward to the podcast. Thanks for your hard work. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> Credit to you, my friend. You called it right about Lewis. I have to tell you, dear listeners out there, Sharon really did honestly send this in before episode 9 aired, so she called it, and fair play. I'm glad we're seeing there's something darker about him, though, and I'd love to think it's the start of something a lot bigger, maybe going into next season. He could well end up knowing a lot more, a lot, lot more than we think. And you're right about LaGuerta, Sharon. She's always looked out for number one. But yes, if Deb does well, then it makes Maria's job easier. I like your suggestion that she'll use Quinn to get to Deb. However, we did see those two make their peace with each other. I'm not sure he'll simply turn on her, unless his career is at stake, of course, and he's doing enough damage at the moment to put that in jeopardy. So, who knows. I'd like to think he still has a small shred of integrity when it comes to Deb, though. I'm not sure about Harry being evil. I guess it kind of depends on your definition. Or your personal perspective. He's definitely part of Dexter's psyche, as Geller seems to be part of Travis's, although a more recent part, or a recent personification of a part that's always been there. Harry encourages Dexter to follow the code. It's a continuation of how he was in life, helping Dexter channel his dark passenger, not just unleash it to run wild and rampant. But yes, Dexter has been doing questionable things that seem to fly in the face of the code, he was doing it last season as well. You're right, if he was so concerned about being a father, he'd just be there for Harrison and put him first all the time and let his dark activities take the back seat rather than the other way round. Maybe this season is heading to the point where he does completely put Harrison first. Thanks, Sharon. I also had an email from Drew McBride who says, People keep bringing up the slides from the season six trailer we got before the season but I would like to point something out. I was in the camp that didn't think it was Dexter's hand, but two things proved it was his. 
The first thing is that they stated that all the footage was from the first five episodes of the season. And second, it's clearly the scene from the Tooth Fairy episode right before he drops the box. On the Geller real or not tip, I think the episode coming on tonight should definitely reveal the answer. I'm sick of asking as well. On Deb finding out Dexter, I understand it's a big payoff when it happens, but my issue is that she almost finds out every season, and it's irritating. I'm getting to the point where I don't care. If you're not going to have her find out, then don't pull the same trick each season, where she could find out if she just showed up two minutes earlier. Finally, on the renewal of the show. I think two more seasons is perfect. After season four, I thought it should end after two more seasons. My reasoning is that you spend one season on stuff getting bad for Dexter, and him eventually being found out by everyone, and use the second season as a way to see how it affects his family. The kids, Deb, and the department eventually having Dexter either leading to an execution or being left in jail to rot away. Thanks, Drew. I didn't see that about the footage being from the first five episodes, although time-wise, the season hadn't all been shot when the trailer came out, so it stands to reason. I've re-watched the dropping the slide scene from the Tooth Fairy episode, episode two I think it was, and the close-up shot of Dexter caressing the slides. It isn't there. <laughs> he just shakily puts the slide in and drops the box, so I'm not sure if they've maybe reused old footage, but I don't think we've seen the shot yet this season. So, I don't know, was it something they shot just for the trailer, or a shot that they filmed and just haven't used? Or maybe something they shot early with a view to using later in the season. I don't know. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine may be. As for the renewal, I think two seasons could suit them well. If it was just one, then we might end up saying they've had to rush a conclusion. This way they can pace it a bit more steadily. Hey there, Gareth. It's me, Josh. I'm calling before I watch the latest episode of Dexter. I just want to touch up on uh, the um, Geller arc this season. And I know I sounded, you know, annoyed by the whole thing, but I'm not really. I'm actually really enjoying it because I still don't know what is going on, and I'm surprised. It's an, actually a good mystery, to me at least. Because I'm so on the fence about it. Not many things can make me do that. I mean, uh, season one, there was kind of a, a little bit of a mystery to it because we didn't know Rudy yet. We didn't know that Brian Moser was the um, ice truck killer. So it was more of like an investigation. It was more of a mystery. Sorry about the bus. At work right now, I just want to get this off my chest. Let me stretch my mind. Um, not the cloud. Alrighty. Um, yeah, so we haven't really had a lot of mysteries in Dexter as of late. The last couple of seasons, season five, there was really no mystery about it. It was just kind of, you know, suspense. Uh, season four, there isn't really a lot of mystery. I mean, learning about Trinity, yeah, that was kind of a mystery. But we knew Trinity, we knew the whole, we knew what the storyline would be. Um, season three, we knew what the storyline would be, essentially. There was really no mystery of that. And season two, we knew Dexter was obviously the Bay Harbor Dexter. But, um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the story arc so far, but it's just, I want to know the answer pretty bad because. I just don't have a clue. And it's going to come to a close tonight, I'm assuming at least. So I'm excited for it, and I will call back with my feedback on that when it's over. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks, Josh. 
I'm glad you've been enjoying the Geller mystery. It has been a mystery, but like we've said, it's one whose eventual truth we'd suspected since episode two. But I'm inclined to say that I think the execution of the mystery has been quite well done. It's certainly kept us guessing, we can't deny that, and arguably it's done its job, not allowing us to make a definite call. We've gone one way and then the other, so dare I say it, should we be giving the writers a little credit for this? Don't shoot me. <laughs> and it's interesting you talk about mystery generally in the show. Mystery about the central storyline, that is. Season one, we certainly had that. There was a sort of whodunit element. In season three as well, we didn't know who the Skinner was, although, to be fair, that case was secondary to the whole Miguel Prado thing. But in season four and five, we knew who the killers were. It was just a case of Dexter catching up with them. And it's been the same this year. Season two was different, but this year... They have kind of reintroduced that mystery element to the main storyline, or what is arguably, or what should be the main storyline, or, <laughs> in another way of speaking, uh, what we were led to believe would be the main storyline <laughs> prior to the season. But, yeah, it's nice to have that mystery element and to have something to theorise about and, and speculate about, because that's, you know, it's the fun of doing these podcasts, the fun of you guys sending in your feedback and gives us something to... Uh, to discuss really okay thanks again josh on to feedback for get geller firstly on twitter a mixture of opinions goliath growl said this episode ranks as one of the worst of the series the payoff was in no way worth sitting through the is he is he not dead back and forth the laughable thing is that they thought the viewers were supposed to be shocked when they saw geller also speaking of supposed to be surprised the hand in the display case please. I felt in this episode the writers were being more condescending than ever. The only thing I did like was Michael C. Hall's performance, which is always great. I'm really interested in hearing the feedback of the listeners who like this episode and why. Gareth, I'm going to rank this episode one out of five knives. Goliath Growl, if you remember, was uh, the person on Twitter earlier in the season who said he was in danger of dropping the show altogether. Uh, another tweet on Twitter, Ferretbyte said, Anyone else think the autopilot that was running Dexter crapped out on us and we're nosediving? Wow. Casper <laughs> SL from Denmark said, Best episode so far in the season. Sandy Marshall said, I'm disappointed overall, 40 minutes before anything happened. With the hand. Episode really only confirmed what we already knew. C.A. Whiten said, would have been a great episode if it turned out he was real. The prosthetic hand was was a surprise, though. 4-2 Clue said, I was thinking that this last episode was almost too much in the side-twist department. Kettle Creek said, aside from the surprises, I still thought it was the best episode of the past year and a half. And Money for Prez 5 said, I thought it was very decent. Great lead up until the final three episodes, which we know from all past seasons is the build-up show. Here we go. <laughs> so thanks, guys, for your, your tweets. Yeah, very much a spectrum of opinions just there. So um, it's good that some of you liked it and some of you didn't. It, it's good to get that spectrum of different opinions and you know hear what you guys thought. It's, it's fascinating how, how we all view things differently. And as we go through the emails and voicemails coming up, that certainly uh, 
that point certainly gets <laughs> underlined. <laughs> Firstly, an email from Andrew in Montreal, who said, As predicted, it was obvious from the opening scene that the professor was not alive. The writers were confirming it in every subsequent Travis scene. We knew from last week when Travis had left Geller, we wondered how a man of a certain age could do so much difficult physical work, heavy work, on his own. Nice twist, the geek buying the ice truck killer hand on the net. Didn't see that coming. Thanks, Andrew. Yes, I didn't foresee Lewis having the hand either, and credit to Sharon who called it before this episode. I wonder what other secrets we have to learn about Lewis. And honestly, that's one of the key points coming out of the episode for me, one of the things that has me most intrigued. Barbara in New York emailed to say, It's the day after episode 9, and I'm still too angry to write a proper letter. I'm not angry because the big reveal was something we all knew about since episode 2. I'm angry because of the discussion after the show in which the producers explained to us exactly how they pulled off this, quote, incredible, unexpected feat. This was the time to insert a message from the producers saying they realised most of the Dexter fans had already figured out the twist. They could have given us kudos, or at the very least a little respect. But no, instead they showed us the little tricks that we already knew. How the waitress never looked at Geller, for example. All that nonsense about keeping the actors and directors in the dark regarding the twist was equally ridiculous. Confidentiality contracts were signed. They didn't even send out screeners to, to TV critics for this episode because they feared someone would let it out. Let what out? We all knew! The only thing that would have surprised me was if Geller himself followed Dexter down to the church basement. I was hoping and praying this would be the case because then the writers really would have surprised the fans. But no, they find us a bit stupid, don't they? Three more episodes to go in a season which will go down as the very worst in Dexter history. I'm sorry for this angry, rambling letter, Gareth. Your mailbox and phone must be filled with similar listener feedback, pro or con, regarding the big reveal that wasn't. I'm very grateful to be able to vent via your podcast, otherwise I might, be, I might have to bang my head against the wall. I'm looking forward to what you and the listeners have to say. I'm also hoping to hear the helicopter fly over your mobile studio, as well as a squirrel or two dashing across the hood of their ma <laughs> across your hood in their mad dash to prepare for winter. P.S. The best part of the episode was Michael C. Hall climbing out of the stuck elevator. It was truly beautiful to behold. I played it back a few times. <clears throat> Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> Barbara's referring earlier in that email to the Showtime video with Scott Buck explaining what they did to keep the Geller reveal secret. Buck did say earlier in the season that they were aware of the ambiguity of the character but I wonder if he was secretly thinking shit they've guessed it the clever sods. Within the show though it makes perfect sense for Geller to represent Travis's dark passenger. It's a concept we're well used to isn't it? So personally I have no problem with Geller not being real but it does feel like our intelligence was underestimated. It's certainly not a new trick in television or film. I do think, though, that there'll be plenty more casual viewers out there who don't listen to podcasts or look at message boards who will have been taken by surprise and love the twist. And honestly, I envy them in a way, <laughs> because this was a big moment for the season and it ended up an anticlimax for us because we've been onto them since the second episode. And as for Hall climbing out of the elevator, <laughs> Barbara, <laughs> I guess you're a fan of his tight-fitting kill shirt. 
<laughs> I better not comment, although I'm sure my wife agrees with you completely. <laughs> Tom in Poland emailed in to say, The episode was lame. It really was. Probably the worst of the season. Deborah forgave Dexter too easily. Lewis does his magic again. How does an intern do all that? Shouldn't they have someone designated for all that computer stuff? I thought the church would be further away from any people. And we got the answer finally. I was leaning more to Geller being real theory through the season, but in this episode I kind of really expected him to just be in Travis's head. I have to say though that seeing that prosthetic hand at Lewis's home got me interested. But they also kind of blew that by reminding us that Lewis supposedly wasn't able to get it back. I skip the previously thing almost always. Just saw this bit unfortunately this time. So, overall, a not so good episode. Thanks, Tom. Wow, quite strong words there. I'm not sure, though, that Deb forgave Dexter as such. I think she's just trying to take a step back following her therapy. He is who he is and always has been, and she's been reminded of this by the doctor. So, I think she's cutting him some slack there. Maybe, you know, as I said in the review, just taking a, a little step back. Yes, <laughs> in response to one of your other points, you'd think Miami PD would have a cybercrime specialist, or at least an IT department with people employed to do computer stuff. I don't know, I guess they're just making use of the skills they've got in the department. But it does remind me of 24, where the analysts there could hack into anything in seconds with just a few key presses. It served the show of 24, and I guess this serves Dexter. Some of the simplification bothers me. Like identifying an IP address can tell you exactly where the user is. Like I was going into before, it goes a lot deeper than that in reality and might not even be possible in some cases. And yes, the previously on Dexter segment really did telegraph that the ice truck killer hand would resurface. I did like the mention when we saw Casey's hand had been removed though. The mention of uh, the reference to Brian... Uh, when Dexter noticed the hand was gone. Thanks, Tom. An email next from Lost Junkie, who says, Wow, so many answers and so many goodies we got this time. The biggest mystery was revealed to us. Geller was dead all along. But then again, we all kind of knew that. Then it means Travis did kill his own sister and all those other people. But then again, he sort of didn't. Travis is suffering from a split personality disorder. Well, now Dexter is going to have a hard time deciding whether to kill or not kill him. And we all guessed right, Matthews is involved with the killing. LaGuerta is hanging on by a thin thread here. I think we might actually see her gone by the end of the season. The hand in Lewis's apartment? Shady there. What if he's involved with the other intern, Ryan? Quinn is on a self-destruct path. I mean, he messes up episode after episode. I enjoyed the teamwork between Dexter and Travis this week. Excited for the remaining episodes. Couldn't help myself and watch the trailer. Looks pretty good. Thanks, Lost Junkie. You're one of the few more positive comments this week. With Nebraska, the negatives are in the minority. Now it's the other way round. Regarding LaGuerta, yes, I think she may well wind up blackmailing Matthews into resigning and force his hand into taking her out. So I agree, maybe she won't survive the season, or not survive long into next. Maybe Matthews will use Quinn to do it. That's a possibility. Yay! Hey, guys, Josh. Um, finally got an answer. 
I like it. I like how to pull it off. It's pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm impressed. They still have been guessing up till about, well, when Travis saw Geller going into the um, school or whatever it was, I was like, all right. All right, Travis is the only one that's seen this guy. He's got to be in Travis's side. And this it was. I'm glad they finally got to it. And it makes it a lot more interesting. And, you know, now Travis is the big bad this season. It's great. Um, I'm happy with the, with the result. Okay, um, the rest, of the, the rest of the episode was okay. It wasn't that great. Um, Devin, the, uh, therapy was pretty good and it really um <clears throat> it felt more like a recap of her story over the last few years and how she's fucked up and you can understand that. I don't know, it didn't I usually really love Dev storylines and her character a lot, but I mean I didn't think this episode was very strong for her. Um, honestly, I must say, I'm just happy they finally showed, finally, I'm glad they finally gave us the answer, and I'm impressed, it's good. I don't have anything to say. Alright, good, bye-bye. Thanks for phoning in again, Josh. You mentioned Deb. I do think we're entering a new phase for her character. She's taking things away from her therapy sessions and putting them into practice. She's trying to make some personal improvements, and it's early days, but I think good for her. Of course, (laughs) it'll probably end up with her Dexter blind spot being broken down a bit, but that's what we ultimately want, isn't it? You're supposed to preserve the crime scene, asshole. (laughs) This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. Keep up to date with the show on Twitter. Follow at Dissect Dexter. On to another email now. Jason in Ontario writes, I discovered your podcast last year with three episodes to go in season five. It really adds to the Dexter experience. Keep up the great work. Finally, it's revealed Geller is not real. I'm sure that it's not a surprise to anyone. It was getting painful, this episode, with the hints such as Dexter having his eyes closed when Travis saw Geller. You're spot on about Dexter's inner voice as well. It's getting to the point that a gun could fire ten feet away, then Dexter's inner voice would say, A gun has just been fired. My only other complaint was that Travis... was that Travis sure killed that professor awfully fast while Dexter was in the elevator. Anyway, enough complaining. Despite that, I still enjoyed this episode, especially when the old ice truck killer artefact showed up in possession of the intern. Maybe I'm getting too excited or hopeful, but I hope this is a long-term build-up for an enemy for Dexter going into the next season. Perhaps he's been following all the biggest murder cases in Miami in the past few years and is already on to Dexter in some form. Which would explain his huge man-crush on Dexter. However, since this series was not renewed until recently, that's probably a false hope. Thanks, Jason. Yes, the inner voice. 
I really hope they tone it down next season. In fact, I might tweet Robert Lewis on Twitter <laughs> and ask him if they can, if he can see to that. <laughs> and just acknowledge our intelligence and the acting ability of Hall. We don't need all those voiceovers, do we? Regarding Travis, I think he probably just took down Casey and hid him with the plan of coming back later to set up the tableau. He really wouldn't have had time to do all that work while Dexter was trapped. Like you, I'd like to think they're setting up something for next season with Lewis. But given the generally contained nature of most Dexter storylines being just season long, I fear he'll be done by the end of this season. Another email, Chris in Cincinnati emailed to say, Well, the writers of Dexter certainly were influenced by Psycho, weren't they? We thought for a few episodes now that Travis and Geller were like Norman and Mrs Bates, but the reveal with Dexter finding the body in the freezer was very reminiscent of Vera Miles finding Mrs Bates's body in the fruit cellar in the movie. It's also clear that they were influenced by Carrie with the buckets of blood at the atheist professor's murder scene. My favourite line of the night was Masuka's Brace yourself for awful. That could be a good line to use in daily life. I like Masuka playing the role of perverted sensei to the tech guy and with him in possession of the ice truck killer hand do you think that he and ryan are in cahoots i cheered for deb when she told that bitch laguerta that she was going to reopen the case now i just want to see deb haul off and slug her before the season's over i got a chuckle out of batista's facial expressions when he and quinn went out to get quinn's gun he enjoyed watching quinn squirm didn't he all in all i enjoyed this episode nothing really earth shattering or any major twist with geller but I did. I think it did what it was supposed to do. When Lost was on, I used to refer to episodes like this as setting up the board and moving all the players into position for the final act. One non-Dexter-related question before I go. Last week you mentioned the Sherlock Holmes reboot. I'm just curious if you can compare the new Holmes to Jeremy Brett's Holmes. Ever since my senior year English teacher showed us an episode with Brett as Holmes, I've considered him the gold standard for portraying that character. Thanks very much for the email. Um, did Masuka say brace yourself for awful or brace yourself for awful? <laughs> Might be my British ears mishearing again. <laughs> but either interpretation would work. <laughs> Unlike the necrophilia cock-up. <clears throat> Funny you mention the word sensei. Uh, my eldest son started karate lessons this week and his teacher's called sensei. I don't know if Ryan and Lewis are working together. The hand was sold in an online auction. If they were together, she could have just given it to him or sold it offline. But it's nice to get another email from someone who feels a bit warmer towards the episode. There's a lot of frustration and disappointment out there at the moment. But yes, they are setting the board ready for the season's endgame. We did used to say that about Lost, didn't we? You mentioned Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes. I never actually saw any of those, much to my shame. I was... I'm not sure I was a bit too young or just it just wasn't something that I watched. So I can't really comment, although I do understand Brett was regarded to have been brilliant in the role. Next, an email, sorry, a voicemail from Kim in Las Vegas. Ah, Gareth, finally, nine episodes in, just for uh, us to find out that we are smart fans. Hmm. Anyway... The part I wanted to talk about is the situation with Jamie and, uh, I don't know, the whole time they were 
in his his house. I'm just waiting for some kind of creepy moment. And then you see the hand. I'm like, seriously, man, how many of these interns are we going to have that are all obsessed with evidence? I mean, two in a row? What the hell's going on? Unless, you know, uh, the other intern is actually somehow in coots with uh, this other intern. I've already forgotten his name. That's how important he seems to me. But I don't know. How is he going to figure into the story? I have no idea. Is he somehow one of Geller's other students? I have, I don't know. I mean, hopefully not. He's a little too smart for that sort of thing. But I think it would have still been much, much cooler if somehow the Doomsday Killer had some other plan from the Bible and was going to attack those two while they're ready to get it, get it on. But I don't think I want to do that to uh, Batista. That would just be sad for his sister. But Really, nine episodes, and finally we find out we're right. Hopefully they find a good way to cap off this season when it finally happens, because so far we've guessed the storyline forever before it happened. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Kim. Like we heard from Chris just now, you wonder if Lewis is in cahoots with Ryan. I'm not convinced about that, but you were sceptical of two interns both being into taking evidence. Although... We did see Ryan with Ryan. She was out to make some money and saw selling iconic evidence as being a way of making a few bucks. I don't... I really don't know what to make of Lewis now. And part of me is reluctant to overthink it after we did that with Geller. I mean, arguably, we spoiled the surprise, even though it was pretty obvious things weren't what they seemed with Geller. So... I don't know. I I think I might let the Lewis thing take its course. <laughs> and if it surprises us again, I'll be pleased. Jennifer Bielski emailed to say, I just watched the f- most recent episode of Dexter, and for the first time since the season began, it's finally going somewhere. Not to complain about the season, because I'm a pretty big Dexter fan, but in my opinion, it's been a rather slow season. I was watching it with my boyfriend and he ended up falling asleep from working all night and I told him, if you're going to watch any episode, go back and watch that one. I was very pleased when they finally revealed Travis's dark passenger, who was obviously Geller. Also pleased they made it clear Matthews had something to do with the prostitute being killed and pleased they revealed Lewis is up to no good. Not sure why they keep going back to the ice truck killer and that hand, but I'm curious where it'll end up. Quinn and Batista are great together. Never been a Quinn fan, but when they pair him with Angel, I know I'll get a good laugh. I'm very excited for the rest of the season now, and hope everyone else is too. Will Dexter do the typical lay-him-out-on-a-table killing, or will Brother Sam enter his head? Quite curious. Thanks, Jennifer. Yes, they do keep referencing the ice truck killer, don't they? I wonder if it'll turn out that Lewis is an expert on the case and knows Dexter was related to Brian. He's a computer whiz and may have hacked into police records or something and found out the connection. And I also have enjoyed the Quinn-Batista scenes. They had their fun, but Batista then drew a line in the sand over Quinn bonking that witness, the professor. But they've not been the same since. Although I did enjoy his amusement at Quinn squirming over his latest conquest. (laughs) This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It helps me control the chaos. On to another email. Nick Henderson from the 4Player Podcast has emailed in to say, This episode represents a long-awaited turning point for the season. 
It is a little unfortunate that they took such a long time getting to it, since it seems that the general audience probably had this figured out weeks in advance. At this point, it would have been more of a twist if Geller was real. I'd have been really impressed if the writers had gone this direction, but I am happy that the guessing game is finally over. I feel like the end game can finally play out now, and the story actually has the potential to keep us on the edge of our seats now that Travis seems to have embraced his darkness. With three episodes left, I don't think that it's too late to wow the fans and really bring the season together. First of all, I think they did the sceptics a favour this week by showing Dexter providing Travis with a prepaid phone, a plot device that would have made the first scene of the season a bit easier for realists to swallow. I would assume that Dexter would use these phones for anything having to do with his extracurricular activities to prevent the police from being able to trace him. As for the Quinn episode itself, I was surprised by the hilarious situation that Quinn found himself in this week, but was a bit disgusted by his soulless comments that he made to Batista. If they don't kill off Quinn this season, I'll be really surprised. I'm also worried about the downward spiral that Batista continues to find himself in. What is the purpose of his behaviour? Are the writers trying to hint that Batista may have some darkness in him as well? With only three episodes left, I'm worried that this side story will eventually amount to nothing in the grand scheme of the season. Once again, I was surprised and a little disappointed at how transparent the writers are being this season when it was revealed that Matthews was in fact the person who was in the room with the dead hooker. Why not throw the audience a curveball and reveal it was actually Batista or Quinn? Oh well, after hearing him tell LaGuardia that they needed to stop her, I can't help but pray that Matthews ends up on Dex's table by the end of the season. I would love to see his reaction when he realises that the Bay Harbour Butcher is still alive and right under his nose. It also might be interesting to have Dexter do this in order to protect his sister, only to have her catch him in the act. Either way, the writers have an opportunity to do something big with this plotline. The DDK stuff this week was interesting, but also a bit transparent. With Dexter never actually seeing Geller, I had the ending of the episode called as soon as Travis and Dexter arrived at the college campus. It was cool to see Dexter working together with someone he would normally be killing, and the execution of the Bowls of Wrath tableau was pretty cool. However, I was a bit disappointed when they cut out the reaction from Dexter after he was covered in blood. He looked like he was about to explode with rage, but the scene ended before we had a chance to see what happened. The final revelation in which Dexter found Geller's corpse in the freezer under the church was predictable, but effective. I just hoped that the ending surprised some people, because I think it would be almost as shocking as the Rita bathtub scene if he didn't see it coming. For the first time all season, we saw the darkness in Travis, and I can't wait to see more. Lastly, I think one of the most intriguing plot threads to make some headway this episode was the Lewis twist. What exactly is his role now that we know he was the one who purchased the hand online? I read an interesting theory from someone who suggested that he might be somehow involved with DDK, because Dexter keeps mentioning similarities between the ice truck killer and the tableau crime scenes. Once at the mannequin scene, and then again this week with the bloody drained body. Either way, it seems like Lewis might be an unexpected bad guy this season, which would be a welcome twist. I can't wait to see how this pans out. Thanks very much, Nick. Lots of good stuff in there, and you close by just mentioning you think the season's finally found its footing this episode. And uh, it's good that you're feeling optimistic. Firstly, yes, I agree, it would have been more of a twist for us, that is, listeners of this podcast, if Geller had ended up being real. But, him being Travis's dark passenger makes complete sense to me, 
and I am glad they've put that mystery to bed. I agree with you that there's time now to pull things back and give us a really exciting, tense and dramatic run-in. And you make a good point about the prepaid phone. We should give Dexter and Dexter the show a bit more credit. We've seen him in action for six years and we know he's good. And maybe this is an example of the writers giving us some credit for knowing Dexter and taking the decision not to show us every step of his activities. Batista and Quinn. I'm interested to know where these guys are going this season. It's been a minor subplot, but one that's not had me coming up with any solid predictions. Although we did talk about maybe Batista being the one to find out something juicy about Dexter via Jamie. And that could still happen. I still think Daddy's Box will come back though. And regarding Matthews, that would be a lovely moment for Dexter to tell him he was the Bay Harbour Butcher. I'd love to see his shocked expression. (laughs) But you're right. There's potential there for the writers to turn it into something big. It would be clever of them to have had a minor plotline simmering away quietly for a chunk of the season, only for it to come to the foreground as something big later on. And I agree with you about the most interesting subplot, given that we'd predicted the other two twists, and that being the Lewis thing. I don't know that he's in with DDK, but I am genuinely intrigued by the latest development. And I'm encouraged by your... By your reasoned assessments of this episode, actually, given the strong feelings coming from others. (laughs) I've heard the cynicism of your four-player colleague on your podcast taking the piss out of, quote, Dark Dexter. I wonder if he'll give you some crap over this latest episode. (laughs) Hi, Gareth. It's Ian from Bristol calling in from my car on a cold and wet Bristol morning. Um, I'm phoning in to talk about Series 6, Episode 9, Get Geller. Um, so finally, at last, some resolution on Travis and Geller. Can we stop talking about this now? Um, I'm sure you've got plenty of feedback from the people on this, so I'll just totally ignore that one. Um, Debs and the psychiatrist. Um, you could see the delight in the psychiatrist's eyes once Debs started telling her her backstory about her relationships with her father and older men, uh, her engagement to Brian, who tried to kill her, and uh, her brother, who's her um, killer's um, sibling. Um, I doubt the psychiatrist have ever had a patient with such complex and uh, kind of messed up private life as as Debs. Um, So I feel that the psychiatrist there can see a a good case study coming on. Um, I feel that Debs now has all the information, knowledge to work out that um, Dexter is a a serial killer um, and she just needs the help of the psychiatrist to work it out. Um, A little bit of self-enlightenment there, I don't know. Um, Moving on to Queen and Angel. And, uh, whew, looks like we took some pictures line. Um, I think it was worth the cost, cost of the nightclub scene last week for this, for this payoff. It's an old joke, but a good one. Um, and, unfortunately, it reminds me of a night out when I was a student. But I don't want to tell you that story now. Um, I don't know how the Angel and Quinn relationship will continue after their, their fight in the street. Uh, perhaps this antagonism will continue and they'll keep on chipping away at each other. Uh, perhaps they'll become much closer friends. Um, but their on-screen relationship is great, and I was just thinking that it would probably make a great comedy spin-off series, uh, a new oddball couple, Quinn and Angel. Uh, moving on to LaGuerta and Matthews, uh, it was no surprise that Matthews was the, was the person who was with the hooker. Um, I've not trusted him since the very first series, um, when I was um, sure that for the first six episodes he was the ice-trip killer, um, how wrong I was. Um, he did seem to be truly sorry about the woman's death, though, um, but... I don't know what he's going to do to ensure that he keeps his job. He seems quite a driven person. I think he'll do anything. Um, moving on to Elliot, then an angel sister. 
Um, it's a big reveal that Elliot had the ice took killer's arm. Uh, the question is, was he the original buyer, um, or did he acquire it in some other way? And what happened to the cute blonde intern? We've not seen her for a while. Um, has he dispatched her in some way? I don't know. Um, but he seems to be written as a bit of a geeky collector, um, and obviously part of his collection is, is the ice truck killing stuff. So I think he's going to find Dexter's slides, um, and if he does, what will he do with them? Will he keep them for his collection? And then ultimately, what will Dexter do to get them back? Uh, moving on to Dexter and kind of linking it to Elliot as well, did anybody else notice that Dexter was using Elliot's search engine this week? So I wonder what nice juicy information or search details that Elliot has been able to uh, get from Dexter and what he's going to do with that information. Um, I, I question whether the uh, DDK killer story is going to get resolved quite quickly actually, uh, maybe next episode or so, uh, and then will Elliot become the main threat for Dexter? Perhaps um, they'll keep the DDK story going to the end of the season and then um, bring Elliot along for next season. We'll have to wait and see. Um, moving on to the, the big reveal, I guess, with, with Geller. Um, I think the only person in the world that didn't know that Geller was in the freezer was uh, Dexter. Um, but I can't understand why Dexter went down into the cellar. The, the, the table leg was on the trapdoor, and Geller couldn't have gone down there and then pulled the table leg across the door after him. So uh, was there only me shouting it's a trap? Uh, I don't know. So overall, um, I think this, this season is following the format of previous seasons in that it's a, a slow build-up for the first two-thirds or so, and then it entered overdrive with, with three episodes to go. Um, so in my opinion, this season is up there with the best. It's well-written, well-paced. All the characters have something to do and contribute to the ongoing story. Um, all the threads that have been teased all the way from episode one are starting to bear fruit. And as some of your callers said last week, you need to trust the series. Um, finally, it was good news to hear that Dexter is going to have two more seasons. It'll be interesting to see how the writers choose to finish the story. I'm, I'm sure uh, some of the fans will be unhappy with however they choose to, to finish the story. Um, but, you know, as we've said, trust the series. Um, thanks for the podcast, Gareth, and hope to speak to you again next week and over the next two years too. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, come on, Ian. You can't dangle a story like that and not share it. You're worse than the Dexter writers. <laughs> I'm only kidding, of course. <laughs> but, you know, if you want to email me privately, that's fine. I like a good sorry tale of shame and embarrassment and woe with the opposite sex. Bring it on. <laughs> but you're right to remind us. Trust the show. I said to someone on Twitter this week that the writers don't want to screw the show up any more than we want the show to be screwed up. We all want it to be the best it can be. That's viewers and creative. And again, I'm encouraged by your endorsement of the episode. It's good to know that even though we'd predicted what the twists would turn out to be, many viewers were still able to enjoy the show. And you mentioned Elliot. Yes, I noticed Dexter using that again. You talk about Elliot as if he was a real person. Uh, and you kind of... Well, you do. You stop short of suggesting that this revolutionary search engine Elliot is yet another... Wonder, <laughs> wonderful thing to come from the brilliant mind of Lewis. Who knows, maybe Lewis set up Elliot, pointed Dexter at it with a view to logging all Dexter's searches and then gathering further information on him, maybe just to get an insight into how he works, or maybe for some other darker reason. Whichever. If he checks the search logs, he'll see Dexter found Trent Casey before he was murdered by DDK, 
which will obviously raise some interesting questions. So thanks, Ian. Your thoughts there raise a nice prediction for something to come with Lewis. Regarding the trapdoor under the altar, I think Dexter was drawn by that noise that started up, the noise that turned out to be the freezer. I don't think he necessarily thought De uh, that Geller had gone down there and pulled the table back, but it was certainly an odd noise to be coming from beneath the church altar, so you know, I'm not, I don't blame Dexter for investigating. Thanks again, Ian. Deanna from Alberta emails in. Despite a few nitpicks, IP addresses and climbing elevator shafts, not least among them, I quite enjoyed the episode. All that blood. Gah! Too bad the Geller twist wasn't much of a twist for listeners of your podcast. It's a shame that it was guessed so early. It took away a huge plot climax. Now that Dexter has found out, it will be interesting to see if Dexter chooses the route of mercy for Travis or not. I loved Reitergal's email last podcast. I'd be willing to bet she has it summed up exactly right. The Lewis twist did catch me way off guard, though. I have a little theory. Could Lewis be a serial killer, too? Perhaps, in the same way Dexter kept a scrapbook of serial killers like the Tooth Fairy Killer, Lewis is collecting items of interest like the Mannequin Hand. Lewis has been too much into Dexter. I can't help feeling that all that attention is for some reason, unless it's just another Irish nanny plot line. Like Dexter and Travis, Lewis has that same crazy, super tidy apartment without many visitors. I wonder if Lewis's interest in Jamie is simply to get close enough to Dexter and maybe get his hands on another souvenir. Working as an intern to do game research seems like a thin lie to me. If he followed the ice truck killer case very closely, maybe he found out about the Dexter-Brian Moser connection. Maybe he's not a killer, but he seems to have an unnatural interest in them. It's a real stretch, and I'll have to wait and see. My favourite moments this episode were the ones between Dexter and Deb. I'm here for you, if you need a chair. But she wants a table. <laughs> the confusion on Dexter's face had me laughing pretty hard. Psychobabble aside, this therapist might begin to push Deb into seeing things about Dexter she never considered. I wonder how much of these plot lines will be explored in the coming seasons. Thanks, Deanna. Another listener who wasn't so down on the episode. So, could Lewis be a serial killer? Honestly, I can't say for definite either way. It would be a bit of a cliché if one of our characters fell for another serial killer. But you make a good case for us to be suspicious of him, aside from him having the hand, of course. But he wasn't shifty having Jamie in his apartment at all. The hand was there on display, and he wasn't wary of her seeing it or anything. I, I don't know. There's definitely more to him than meets the eye. I'm hoping it's more than just having an interest in serial killers. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Blood. Sometimes it sets my teeth on edge. Chester Beckett emailed to say, I never fully understood the term jump the shark until I watched this week's Dexter. Almost everything about tonight's show was an insult to the intelligence of the viewers. It was painful to watch the show unfold as if the writers felt they were about to shock everyone with an epic twist. After all these weeks, did they really think most viewers would be on the edge of their seats with excitement at the reveal that Geller was dead? 
When Dexter went down into the basement, I was praying that Dexter would find Geller alive or something other than the obvious dead Geller. And it's not just because the twist was predictable. For example, many people predicted Rita's death, but the execution of that twist was excellent. Even if you had been spoiled, that episode would still be enjoyable. The idea that Travis would be a mentally ill fanatic with, an, with his own dark passenger was an interesting one. But it was so horribly written and presented in such a pretentious way, it was like watching a terrible comic who thinks he's hilarious bomb on stage. Ugh! And what a waste of two excellent performances by Hanks and Olmos. And that was just the start of the stupidity. Did they also think viewers would be shocked at the big reveal that Matthews was LaGuerta's mystery man? As for the, red, the rest of the idiocy, I'm guessing you'll have already covered does it really take a computer genius to suggest that the police track down something called a internet protocol address of a suspected murderer's blog? Seriously? Does the worst network cop show think their viewers are this stupid? Did Deb really need the whole search team to notice the creepy abandoned church in full view of the unsecured wireless address? Oh well. There are still a few episodes left, and maybe now that this Geller nonsense is out in the open, things will improve. I am intrigued by the creepy intern story, but these writers don't make me hopeful for the next two seasons. Anyway, thanks for the great podcast. Oddly, I'm starting to look forward to it more than the show itself. Holy cow, Chester. <laughs> this is definitely the strongest email of the week, but I thank you for it. I do like these, these opinions that crop up at the extreme ends of the spectrum whether it's pro whether it's for or against the episode so i'm not down on you at all <laughs> to use the term jump the shark though is very strong personally i wouldn't go that far but i do feel that our intelligence has been insulted a little bit lately i think the execution of the reveal was okay but was harmed by the fact that we saw it coming i expressed my concerns earlier in the season that as a result of us suspecting the twist, that the eventual reveal would end up being a bit a bit anticlimactic, and it really was. Thanks for your email, Chester. I really appreciate you emailing in for the first time to the podcast and uh, being brave enough to, well, to put forward a, such a strong opinion. Good stuff. Hi, Gareth. This is Dave in Ohio calling again. Um, Dick Keller. Wow, what can you say about it? Just a phenomenal episode, easily one of the best of the season. Um, we've kind of seen this season a whole bunch of balls thrown up in the air, and uh, now they're starting to, to pick them out and juggle them a little bit. A lot of great pacing, uh, a lot of great writing and acting, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, I'll keep my comment to one specific, I guess, issue of the show. Last podcast I'd called in and sort of hem-hawed about Deb finding out and how the hype might be too much and it would never be done right and all this. And I was really worried, especially after her finding the pen from Nebraska, that it might end up being, you know, one quick thing and it's like all of a sudden she knows. Um, I have to say I really like how they're doing this, though, where she's going to see the counselor and the counselor sort of slowly working her through some of these things that might lead her uh, not maybe to come to a realization, but might lead her to a place where she pushes Dexter enough that she finds out. Um, really interesting to me that when the psychologist asked her about her dad or when Dexter shuts her out, how she feels, and she said she feels alone. Very interesting because it's drawing parallels to the Dexter character as well. Uh, all through 
you know, the first five seasons, Dexter always felt alone, uh, alone in the world, and was constantly looking for somebody to connect with, somebody where he wouldn't be alone. So now we have Deb feeling alone and wanting to reach out and connect to Dexter. Um, uh, very interesting. Also had to chuckle at the chair and table metaphor that they were using, um, saying that, you know, a chair is a chair, a table is a table. Uh, uh, just kind of funny, uh, especially given how much Dexter <laughs> knows about tables <laughs> and how he uses them. Uh, but a phenomenal episode. Really kind of liked how all the stories were pacing and coming together uh, in this episode. And uh, really, the, the, uh, for me, the highlight was the Deb uh, developing the Deb story. Uh, also, I have to say, I was on the edge of my couch the whole time, even though there was no big, unseen, unexpected surprise. They paced it so well that I was just on the edge of my chair. Absolutely loved it. Can't wait to hear the podcast. Wow. Thanks, Dave. What a contrast to some of the other feedback, <laughs> especially with that last email. Isn't it funny how we all see and enjoy things differently? We all have a threshold of what we'll let slide. I've been fairly down on the episode myself, but I think mostly that's because we guessed two of the three twists this week. But I'm really pleased you love the episode, Dave. Don't let all us negative Nancys pull you down. <laughs> to say this episode was divisive really is an understatement. You make some good comments about Deb. I'm sure we've not seen the last of the therapist. And I wonder if Deb will tell her about Dexter's mum being killed. Maybe maybe the therapist will end up wondering if she needs to see Dexter too. Or maybe things Deb telling her uh, don't quite add up to her. And maybe the doctor starts thinking Dexter could have something wrong with him. Maybe ticking a few boxes in her head. I don't know. It's certainly going somewhere. It's going to open up some doors, I think. I'm definitely enjoying the deconstruction of her character at the moment. Thanks again, Dave. On to an email from Crystal in Canada. Hi Gareth, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Just finished watching Dexter's Season 6, Episode 9, Get Geller. Wow, what an intense episode. I mean, like, we get Dexter teaming up with Travis, finding out that Tulot was referenced to an atheist professor, who is Geller's opposite religious professor. Wow, Deb calling Dexter a chair and wanting him to open up or become a table. The therapist and Deb is nice. Seeing him... Seeing Deb get herself back together and finding her footing as lieutenant. Sorry, excuse my bad reading there. <laughs> Crystal goes on to say, I was happy to see Quinn and Batista having a brawl over Quinn's troublesome ways. Losing both gun and cell phone and back-talking Batista. He deserved it. Ooh, Masuka's intern and Batista's sister getting it on. Wow, when Batista finds out, he's going to hurt this intern, hopefully. The intern guy also bought the ice truck killer hand. I say again... Ooh, <laughs> if Masuka finds out, Lewis is in big trouble. But Lewis's place was awesome looking. I like the wall mural. It was very vibrant. We get back to the church and we find out Geller is part of Travis's head. I wasn't expecting it, but the fact that Geller's body was in the freezer was interesting. Also the fact Dexter kind of sized Geller up to his brother Brian with the missing hand from the Professor Casey. What is Dexter going to do now? Hmm... <laughs> Thanks, Crystal. Tell me, are you siding with Batista over Lewis? Isn't Jamie a louder boyfriend? 
It's okay. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. <laughs> but it would seem that Lewis may be this darker character who Batista would be right not to want his, his sister sleeping with. It sounds like you enjoy the episode, though, and that's great. There was certainly stuff to appreciate, even though we'd guessed two of the three twists. Hey, Gareth, this is Travis. And whomp, there it is. Drop the mic. It's done. It's over. Good night, folks. Geller is fake. Geller is in Travis's head. And that surprised absolutely nobody, apparently. It's, we all called it. I'm glad we finally got that foolishness out of the way. We, You know, now we're done. the debate's over. Um, my favorite part about that whole the whole reveal was uh, after the episode, uh, there was like a little vignette or a little interview with Scott Buck, the executive producer, and he talked about how the twist came, and he was all smug and talked about how proud he was of him and the writers for thinking of it, and how they're like, he said something like, oh yeah, we didn't even put it in the script. Whenever we have big twists like that, we don't even write it in the script, because we don't want it to leak. We didn't even tell anybody except Michael C. Hall and Edward James Olmos. You know, and he was so proud of it, like, yeah, it was, it was iron tight, no one could predict it, you know, I don't know. It was it was real funny watching him be very proud of himself when it's something you know everybody knew from the whole time. Uh, if you, I mean, if if any listeners hadn't had a chance to see that after the episode, they uh, it's also on Showtime.com or if you subscribe to Showtime's official video podcast, uh, it, uh, it, Showtime's Dexter video podcast, uh, it's on there as well. Uh, so, but now that we know that Travis is officially, officially working alone. That begs the question, is he working alone? I mean, now that you think about it, uh, it is a little kind of a little far-fetched for him to be doing all those wacky things all by himself, uh, working alone, like setting up that, you know, that angel wings, trap doors, pulleys, and, you know, locusts and all that, like, all by himself. Uh, everything, all by himself. Was he really doing it by himself? Maybe he had help. Maybe that's a whole nother twist. Maybe I'd help. Is our, is our boy Lewis, is he helping him? Now, of course, I'm just kind of grasping at straws because that was another big revelation this episode you know oh lewis has the hand oh shit we don't know what that means i'm not getting too excited i could still be right gareth don't get too pumped this could still end up nicky and paulo style because after all lewis is really just tied to to masuka's storyline still so i mean that's oh that's just like c story it's not even b story stuff that's c story stuff so i don't know but maybe you know just for the sake of making the story crazy they will have it be like oh lewis is working with this fool working with travis i don't know uh i'm wondering if about lewis they're gonna try to pull something like oh lewis is is dexter and or brian's son or something like that or you know he's got the ice killer hand he's got to be obsessed with dexter i don't know i just i, I guess this is the hazards that you have to face when you're dealing with a show about a serial killer who kills serial killers. I mean, there's going to be serial killers everywhere, apparently. And it's, yeah, I mean, it just makes me kind of roll my eyes. Like, this kid, too? This kid's got something wrong with him? He's some freak? If he's not a killer, he's obsessed or something like that? I don't know. Seems like there's always some some wacky conspiracy going on around that show. I don't know. Uh, but... I guess the last revelation of the episode, which was another non-revelation, was that, you know, it was Matthews who was trying to squash the investigation <clears throat> of the dead hooker and whatnot. Uh, that's another thing I don't know what to make of. I'm not even going to speculate what they're going to do. I don't know if they'd ever, like, go as far as to kill Deb. But, you know, obviously they're trying to get her and him and the Gorita are trying to get that taken care of. But, uh, 
We don't know what's going to happen. It makes me wonder, Guarta's being such a bitch. Why, what did Batista ever see in her anyway to get married? I don't. She was certainly... She's never been as unlikable as she has been this season. Even in season one, she wasn't as unlikable. So, I don't know. Um, other than that, uh, I think that's it. Uh, there's just, like, two other little things that kind of stuck out to me. In the whole Bulls of Wrath scene, you know, the... the Detective Anderson sends. <clears throat> Detective Anderson said something like, "Oh yeah, we did a sweep for all kinds of traps and gizo, gizmos and everything. It's all good. Don't worry about it." And then you know the whole time, me and I'm willing to bet other people that, in the audience that listen to this podcast were all saying, "Look up, you dummies! I, I knew there was something above them. You know, it's all about b- blood spilling onto people." Uh, hello, you guys. Uh, look up. Nobody. Obviously, they didn't do a very good sweep of any traps or anything because there was some sort of. Indiana Jones pressure trap underneath that body when they lifted it up. But, um, I don't know, very creative, I suppose. And then finally, um, I don't know how I feel about that, the Bulls of Wrath victim, the professor. He was obviously supposed to be some sort of surrogate for, like, Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins. Well, probably both of them. He seemed to, he was like the evolutionary biologist that, that, um, Richard Dawkins is, but he had the abrasiveness and, like, the, you know, in your face attitude of, uh, Hitchens. So, I don't know. Uh, those are two men of whom I admire greatly, and, and they're fellow British uh, British countrymen, such as yourself, Gareth. So, I don't know how you feel about them. Uh, but I like... I, I, I'm, I really admire those two. And uh, I don't know how I feel about him getting killed. Uh, it seems like, you know, we've had both good and bad sides of Christianity this season with Brother Sam and then these religious nut killers. And then we get, like, the one true confirmed atheist even if Dexter won't straight up say that he is or not. And he's just this asshole that gets killed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really care. I don't need a show to uh, to make me feel ways about how I feel or anything like that. You know, I don't need it to validate my beliefs. But uh, anyway, that's it. Uh, see you next time. Thanks, Travis. You and Barbara from New York thought the same about that Scott Buck, Scott Buck interview. Definitely check it out, guys, if you can. The twist aside, it's always interesting to hear from the showrunners and learn about the making of the show. And Travis, you remain unexcited about the Lumi storyline, despite him having the hand. As you've heard, it was the main thing to surprise me this week, and I must admit, I'm more hopeful now of something bigger coming from it. But you're right, I guess, to have reservations when we've been burned so many times with uh, some of the minor subplots. But it would be very nice if this one evolved into something much bigger, and even better if it set up something for next season. You mention Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. I've heard of Dawkins, but not Hitchens. But believe it or not, (laughs) I'm not familiar with their work. I've had a quick look on Wikipedia, though, and it sounds interesting. Some light reading in store for me, I think. (laughs) Thanks again, Travis. Okay, guys. If you want to get in touch with me at the podcast, you can phone in the US listener line, which is a number that's accessible internationally if you dial the uh, international dialing code for the US. The number is 646-222-6122. In the UK, the number is 0844-579-6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320. You can also contact me on Twitter. It's at dissectdexter or my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. You can also email me. It's dissectingdexter at gmail.com or the podcast Facebook page, 
jump on Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter and you'll find it. On there, it's getting a bit more activity now. Some recent posts include Glenn Beale asking the question whether Deb won't be lieutenant come the end of the season or may not even survive the season, considering the rumoured tension between Hall and Carpenter. Marcus Taylor asked if Lewis is going to be the next big bad next season after killing Batista. His fascination with Dexter is just him finding out ways of not getting caught. So he, so he theorises. And also Dave Noble's been busy raising several questions. So jump on the Facebook page and um, join in with some of these discussions. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. The next episode is episode 10 of season 6 and is called Ricochet Rabbit. Now, I assume this was a reference of some kind, so bearing in mind that I don't watch the preview videos or read the forthcoming synopsis of episodes, I looked up Ricochet Rabbit, <laughs> and some of you probably already know this. I found that it's a cartoon sheriff from a cartoon made by Hanna-Barbera that used to use, well, the character Ricochet Rabbit used to use trick bullets against his opponents. How this fits in with Dexter... <laughs> I have no idea, <laughs> but I dare say it'll be fun finding out. And with the cliffhanger ending this week, I have little doubt episode 10 will pick up right away back in the church with Dexter having to either take down Travis with the M99, which given that we've got, what, three episodes left, I think is unlikely, or that Dexter will find a way out of the crypt. He'll need to gather his thoughts and find a way to get back to Travis and meanwhile I suspect Travis himself will want to finish what he started there could well be interesting conversations in store between Dexter and Harry and Travis and Geller and hopefully we'll find out more about the nature of Travis's madness as for the other characters and storylines I'm much more interested in the Loomy storyline now that Lewis has been shown to have a potential dark side it really would be great Really great if they were setting something up that will spill over into next season. But, alas, I fear not. Although I would welcome to be proven wrong. They really do tend to have largely self-contained seasons, don't they? I'm also interested in how the Deb-Dexter dynamic is going to evolve. Is she going to withdraw more? Get a different perspective? I hope we'll finally start to get some noticeable seeds of doubt... But deep down, I suspect this won't really happen until next season. And lastly, I hope the Quinn-Batista thing comes to something. We've spent a lot of time on Quinn this year. Can you hear that? That's the Yorkshire rain, folks. <laughs> Welcome to England. <laughs> Quinn. Yeah, we get that he's fallen off the rails. OK, they've drummed that into us. Although they did tease him coming back on board with him making peace with Deb. And then he's sort of fallen off the rails again. But I do want to see what the point of it all is. Are they going to bring Quinn to a close this season? Write him out, perhaps? I don't know. I just hope it's all coming to something. Harry can't save you now. But you could email the podcast. Dissectingdexter at gmail.com And so... Another podcast draws to a close. And it's another long one. (laughs) 
as seems to have become the norm. But I hope you're still with me. We had another great batch of awesome feedback, and I'm very grateful for it. It's good how uh, we've we've had some good theories stemming from your feedback. So you know, it's all it's all great stuff. But I wanted to just spend a few seconds now kind of clarifying my position now on Get Gala. As has become routine this season, with the amount of feedback I've been getting, I'm having to record the podcast over two days. I watch the episode on a Monday, I record my review on Tuesday and the feedback on Wednesday, and then try to get the podcast uploaded either Wednesday night or Thursday. So... I've slept on it since I recorded my review segment and in the review I was quite anti the episode in many regards. But since then my opinion has slightly mellowed and I alluded to this or I posted as much on Twitter last night to say that I'd mellowed a little. I think my disappointment with the episode centred mainly around the anti-climax of uh, the two twists primarily the Geller one. But I think the blame there doesn't rest entirely with the the show's creators. Obviously they wrote the season, they strung this mystery out all season and made it ambiguous. But, you know, we, we sussed it and that's credit to our intelligence as viewers. The clues were there. Maybe... Maybe some of the blame, yeah, obviously some of the blame has to lie with the creators because they laid these clues out and arguably made it fairly obvious in the end that something was up. And as we said, there's no smoke without fire. And in the end, it would have been more of a surprise if Geller had been real after all these clues. I think some of the remaining resentment now is the fact that Scott Buck went on record after the episode and, and said, look, essentially, look how clever we were <laughs> keeping this a secret. Generally, the place where the show is now is a potentially exciting one. We've got a couple of plot lines where, honestly, I can't predict where it's going to go. That's the Lumi one and the Quinn Batista thing. Oh, and also, uh, how, what's going to happen with Deb? Obviously, she's now got LaGuerta and Matthews apparently conspiring against her. But, um, and, and also now we know the truth about Travis... And Dexter knows the truth about Travis. There's going to be a going to be a little bit of cat and mouse. We had a cliffhanger at the end. You know, I'm previous seasons of Dexter, as one of our listeners pointed out, the last two or three episodes generally are pretty exciting as things all sort of come to a head and uh, we we build to a a climactic final episode. And I'm I'm sure this season won't be any different. So I'm hopeful that we've got quite an exciting ride uh, about to, um, or about to embark on a very exciting ride. So yeah, I've mellowed a little bit. I'm not forgiving the episode, I'm not forgiving the writers completely, but I've mellowed. (laughs) So with that said, I shall say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for downloading and all your brilliant feedback. Join me again in a week's time and we shall dissect some more Dexter. Until then, take care everyone. Cheers for now.